Shayla Coffee Roaster is a specialty coffee roaster here in Houston. We specialize in exotic coffees, uh, direct trade coffees, and unique profiles um, to really bring out the best of the, of the coffee. Hello everyone. Welcome back to the Open Bar Experience. This is David Thacker, your host. It is the second week of December. We are almost done with 2018. This episode of uh, the Open Bar Experience is going to be coffee. Uh, I talked to uh, Katie and Benji from Chella Coffee. This was back in the spring. And um, we get into the nitty gritty of what uh, coffee, coffee production is. Um, it's about a two hour podcast if I was to put it all up. But I decided to cut it down to about 30 minutes, and it's going to be most uh, information that I think is going to be helpful to most people. Benji's got a lot of knowledge uh, when it comes to uh, coffee, uh, coffee production. One of the things that they're very much into is giving uh, attention to and wanting to educate people on the farmers and the roasters uh, that make good coffee possible in the sense that uh, that's where it starts. Um, coffee is very dependent on terroir, which is a lot like wine, meaning that the place, the location in which it is grown is very, very important in the flavor profile that the coffee ends up with. So when you have coffee from uh, Africa or Asia, uh, Central America, uh, side by side, then you're able to distinctly taste the difference in the, the, what the region does, the terroir does for the final uh, flavor of the coffee, right? And so by the time you get to the coffee shop, absolutely having a good barista is uh, a great thing. Um, They know what to do with great coffee, uh, how to present it, how to execute uh, coffee drinks. But if they don't get a quality coffee because the farmers aren't uh, focused on quality, or because the, co- the roaster doesn't understand the difference between um, coffee beans from different regions, then um, the barista will never get that high-quality um, coffee. Then we also talked about the difference between um, blend blends and uh, single origin, uh, a bit about the, um, the washing process of cleaning the, the, the beans between wet and dry, so there's a fair amount of information that um, Benji uh, and uh, Katie uh, shared with us. So in looking to understand uh, like the general difference between how baristas uh, uh, look at what they do, I asked um, Nathan Diedrich from uh, Brazil Cafe about what it is that makes Chilla coffee different. Um, you know, they, there's a lot of quality coffee here in Houston right now. And uh, this is one of them. And so it's like, so what, what's, what's the point, right? Um, what's the difference? One of the things he says is that they're, they're, they're much more progressive uh, in practice. I actually, you know, I texted him, so he, this is what he texted me back. He says, uh, they're much more progressive in practice and more extreme in presentation. He also mentions the uh, third wave uh, of coffee and says there, there are a lot of dogmas and unsubstantiated claims involved when it comes to an idea of quality. All right, so what is that third wave? Well, the growth of coffee goes back 
about 100 years. And one of the things, um, so basically, so, okay, let me just name those. So the first wave is growing coffee consumption um, in the United States and uh, exponentially across the world, but in the United States. Then there is the um, defining and enjoyment of specialty, specialty coffees, right? Um, so then it starts to get organized, essentially, and you start to get definitions. And so this is this and that is that. And then you have the third wave, which is uh, um, people started to, this is all consumer-based, right? First, a uh, consumer starts uh, consuming more. Then in the second one, it's, uh, it's for the enjoyment of, not just to wake up in the morning. Um, and there's the definitions being created for it. And then the third wave is where people are, are buying the, uh, the coffee for uh, based on its origin and artisanal methods uh, of production. So that's basically what we are now. Now, some say that there is a fourth wave, which is where the uh, um, coffee roaster locally, um, like Cella, uh, can have as much influence as the big guys. And, you know, as, as much as we now criticize Starbucks, I remember Starbucks was the best cup of coffee you could get around, uh, you know, 15 years ago. And it was great because it wasn't shitty coffee like the, the gas station coffee that you got. All of a sudden you have good coffee and you have many locations of this place. And then they have all the flavor stuff and whatever. But uh, point is, is that the, the, the bar had been raised. Okay. So you went from really shitty gas station McDonald's coffee, which now McDonald's has good coffee too. See how that got influenced? Um, And so uh, in addition to that, I'm going to add this. In Houston, Texas, the Maxwell House had this big uh, um, roaster on the east end of town. And um, if you lived in this side of town, then in the middle of the night, throughout the day, but in the middle of the night, you could definitely smell the the coffee being roasted, which is a fantastic experience in itself. Well, that shut down a few months ago and is slated to be redeveloped to who knows, but, you know, gentrification. It's a subject for another day. Anyways, so, but Maxwell House at one point was uh, one of those big companies like, excuse me, Starbucks, that um, broke past a barrier, all right? And um, it, it became um, synonymous, and, and people were no longer just buying whatever. Now they wanted Maxwell House. So then there is a demand for quality. Those things change with time, right? So getting back to the point is that in this current era of coffee, um because we're more connected and because through a good social media campaign and maintenance of your social media, people can see what you're doing. There's more transparency, which is one of the things that they talked about, which is something that I also saw at the beginning of cocktail uh, world was there was no sharing of information or very little sharing of information. And so you have to go out there and, and just do it and learn it yourself. And then the Brands, big brands got involved and they started doing education because it was beneficial for them 
to have people understand the difference between premium products and regular products um, in the cocktail program because it allowed them to sell more of the product. So it was a win-win for them. And it was a win for, for the, the, the cocktail world because a lot of people got to learn a lot. And so now with coffee, it seems to be the same thing, which is there's more information on the online. And um, I don't know about big brands getting involved the way that happened with spirits, but I think that uh, roasters are sharing more information, especially the ones that do it on social media. Because the ones that don't share, then they're <laughs> people are not as engaged. So that said, let's go and uh, hear what they have to say. I'm Benji Aguilar with Shayla Coffee Roasters in Houston, Texas. So Shayla has been around since 2014. Uh, we started it, uh, both of us, co-founder me and Caitlin, uh, started it on the side. Um, it was definitely a side hustle for at least a year. Um, the reason we started it was um, a lot of a lot of uh, opportunities came at once. My name's Caitlin O'Brien with Shayla Coffee Roasters. Um, I actually, right out of college, I worked at a tech startup, a technology video competition platform that was launched out of Houston. Um, so that was my background. I jumped straight into entrepreneurship. It's always been a passion of mine. So um, I worked there for about two years, and then I was working at the Houston Technology Center, which is a startup accelerator incubator for um, startups that are looking for funding, uh, looking for business advice, connections, mentorship, mentorship um, all of the above. It's just a startup hub situation. So um, through that, I I was exposed to some of the most cutting edge technology. I mean, I was working at it. It was a nonprofit, so I was having to figure out ways that I could do marketing for free. So um, I'd use social media. So I did Facebook, Twitter. Um, I would do these whole like recruitment plans for startups to um, submit to my to different competitions. I would create this whole strategy that was solely using using social media. So I, that background, I was very heavy in social media and how to connect with the consumer, um, with different groups, with investors, um, with even the, I had, for one of the conferences I helped organize, Brian Meese from Rocket Hub came and spoke with us and we reached out to him through Twitter. <laughs> so, you know, at the time, social media. Um, social media was like your direct access to people, places, and companies. So when we started Shayla, that's kind of the framework I built around. I already knew how to build um, user stories, so I had different user diagrams for how I was going to reach the people on online, national, worldwide. I had it all laid out to, before we even launched the website. So that's kind of my tech uh, OCD, I guess you could say. Um, but when, I mean, everything is built around each other. When I, when we were making our business plan, um, the tech was in, included, integral. integrated, integrated. I mean, when we started. We launched online. It wasn't like we launched a, a, a storefront or anything. We didn't launch with a store. We launched our online store. So, um, and that's where Shayla really took off. We built um, our Instagram up. We started creating content that would, I connected all the content. So I would connect the website, the social media, so Facebook, Instagram. And, um, and then when we were do pop-up events, like we used to do the East End Street Market, 
um, you could see the just the flow of everything together. So when the consumer met with you, um, they were very aware of our brand, what we were doing, and what our values were because they knew we hustled really hard because they knew that we were doing it all of our all ourselves as well. So um, the tech side, it was a an entry into the market without having a huge overhead. Like it provided us that. So um, yeah, that's kind of the the tech background really helped help me and and Shayla. Um, it just l allowed me to be creative because in my other jobs I had wanted to do all these things and I, I had started testing these ideas, but it wasn't until I had my own company that I was able to just do the craziest things like the Skirsten bottle. We were like just throw it out. It's because that it's blew our company. Up online. Yeah. When we first launched our cold brew bottle Skirsten. Um, we had too many orders. <laughs> yeah. Um, we got, you know, crazy. online articles. We got um, news fix to come out. Um, it really was an online craze because that's where we launched it. Yeah. Um, it wasn't available locally yet. And, you know, this this bottle, we shipped it out all the way to Russia, yeah. Chi <laughs> yeah. China, all across you know, the Hawaii, US. Well, Australia. Yeah. So yeah, online has been a huge connection to the culture, uh, and and that's what's really important for people to follow a brand is is a lifestyle brand, yeah. some, a brand that actually cares about uh, connecting with their audience. Definitely. So what platforms are you are on? Uh, our most active one is going to be Instagram. So we constantly are posting secret stuff we're doing on our stories. Where um, that's kind of where we release. If you follow sneak us, peaks. the sneak peeks, that's where all the sneak peeks are. Um, we post on Instagram as well, just in general. Um, and then Facebook as well. And we're not as active on Twitter as when we started, but um, we that just focus. That might be because the Twitter stock's going down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just felt, I mean, we found that Instagram was our best connection. It drives the most traffic to our website. Facebook and Instagram for us as a consumer brand, for, package for brand. Um, it definitely yeah, drives exactly. um, Facebook and Instagram. The other ones, I mean, we did, we do do, we were doing uh, YouTube as well. Um, the thing about a video platform or something like that is it does take a lot of capital. Yeah. It takes a lot of, you know, people from shooting it to editing it to uh, posting it. Yeah. Um, so right now it's all, we're doing everything in-house. So mainly we're focusing on uh, presenting the product in a certain way, also putting our vibe out there as as how we want um, like the co the company to be perceived. Yeah. Um, so yeah, right now a lot of the social media is what's still driving our our fans or our customers yeah. to find out about our new stuff and all of that. Yeah, and a lot of people find us on Instagram before even having any interaction with our brand in For real sure. life so they're like I saw you on Instagram and sure. I mean that's really has connected us directly to the consumers without having to go through um, opening a store yeah like a storefront uh, and one really on cool thing there. that we see uh, for online uh, promotion is working with uh, artists or working with people of influence I was working at a company called Farmer Brothers and they're a national coffee brand and they have a plant here in Houston that processes most of their production. So their capacity here at the plant in Houston was about 
40 to 60 million pounds a year. There is a lab in the plant and I was running the lab. So I was a lab manager there. I was certified in tasting coffee and I was doing about 30 to 40 coffees a day. Approval or rejection based on quality, defects, all of that. So really all the, my time at Farmer Brothers really solidified the, the purchasing of coffee, the quality, the consistency and all that. Uh, Kaylin came from the tech side and I'll let her touch on that a little bit. Yeah, um, my background was, I was really involved with the Houston tech community and um, I had a design background as well. So when we all came together, um, we all had each different skills and it just built off the team. So I was able to build the website and do a lot of the initial design. and. Um, and in the process of having our own business, um, I've actually learned how to roast, and Benji's learned how to design. So when we started, it was just a, a way to expand our skills set in a way. And um, we were just always have wanted to be entrepreneurs, and um, Houston is just the perfect place to start a business, and it was a perfect time. So that's why we initially started as a side hustle. When we went full time um, in 2016, there was different things that happened. I had. Uh, there, I was planning on applying for a job at NASA and it just ended up not working out and I went full-time on Shayla and Benji went full-time too around the same month and we were able to just hit, go, the, ground hit the ground running, going out and doing sales. I mean, yeah, yeah we so kind of built it from the ground up with us too. <coughs> and Robin, from the very Robin beginning, too. we all, all three of us went in on a roaster, which yeah, is the same machine that we have. So it was three of us. Um, we went on the in on the machine, found a place to roast, and just started testing it out. Uh, I was I was buying from a place called Sweet Maria's in California, and they actually cater to home roasters and small, really, really, really small roasters by selling small quantities of raw coffee. So what they do is they buy the large sacks, which are usually about 150 pounds. They break it down into 20 pound increments. So someone that's starting out as a roaster can go to this place get yeah of course you're paying more for it but you're getting that small quantity so you don't have to commit um, so what we did was tested out our profiles and really nailed it down because every every roasting machine is really different so once we got that down we just started giving out samples going in person to restaurants coffee shops and uh, eventually the national competitions um, we that's one of the first things we uh, really went after was that competition space. Um, so we were in the U.S. Roaster Championship, we were in the U.S. Cup Tasters Championship, and because of all, all of those efforts in the very beginning, uh, we have a lot of connections now that are carrying us through as far as raw coffee importers, uh, direct trade, um, you know, roasting manufacturers. At this point, I show them a, an issue of Time Magazine, a uh, special edition that is uh, on coffee, and it's the culture of the business and the health of uh, coffee. And I asked them what do they think this was going to do for the, for the industry because so much of it is based on educating the consumer. And uh, this is what they had to say. Even the processing, the 
coffee processing at the actual farm. I feel like this Time magazine is going to put give visual images to what it's actually like at the farm. I don't think consumers even realize how meticulous and how much work goes into the farm level, of even before it gets to the United States or wherever you are roasting. Yeah, for example, to touch on what she's talking about, to achieve a specialty coffee with zero defects, with, a, with special flavors, special tones in it. That takes so much work from a team, not just one person, you know. It takes the logistical team because if they ship it with diesel, if they ship it with fruit, all of that can affect the flavor. So from A to Z is so important and it can be screwed up in so many ways. Um, so right now I feel like there's a different quote-unquote wave coming now is called third wave they call gourmet or Starbucks second wave what I think and what I was touching on with the bubble aspect is that it's kind of breaking beyond that and becoming very accessible to the consumer to the point where they can not only depend on Starbucks or the grocery store but they can now go to a local coffee shop and know what they're buying know that they don't like this flavor because of the roast profile and because of the origin that's wild you know that's not something that has been happening before usually you go to a diner you go to a restaurant whatever you just order the coffee and whatever it is if that's what it is so now i think this type of information is super important super critical to companies like ours that are trying to bridge bridge that gap between the consumer and the producer not the consumer and the roaster because Roasters have been around a long time in the U.S. People know about roasters, but the producer is really where we're trying to spotlight, um, especially with things like direct trade, where we know all the wages are going to the producers and the farmers, and um, things like uh, transparency in like the processing and all of that. That's definitely uh, something really important coming out of information like this. Are you guys in any retail stores? Uh, we are not in grocery stores or, or big box stores like that right now uh, they they require a certain uh, volume to be produced at a certain uh, price level and so what we're trying to do from the very beginning was establish ourselves as a as a direct trade exotic coffee roaster um, and then as we build that up we'll have the resources to build out the the budget line or whatever is recommended <coughs> from the grocery store. Do, do you have a website? Yes, shaylaroasters.com, X-E-L-A roasters.com. Shop? Yes, and there's an online store. You can currently buy um, our whole lineup of coffees. They come in 12-ounce bags on the website. Um, and there is actually a code right now for a discount. It's called Shaylagram. It's for, for all of our social media followers. Uh, XELA gram like Instagram and uh, you can actually buy our, our merch on, and our cold brew on there as well. So Shela is actually short name for a city in Guatemala. The city is called Shelahu and um, it is a coffee growing region and all that but my parents both are from Guatemala. Uh, I was born here in Texas but I've uh, since then gone back to Guatemala several times our third partner is actually my brother. His name's Robin Aguilar. 
And so uh, we both uh, grew up hearing from our parents, Shayla, let's go to Shayla, Shayla. But it was more of like a mythical place because we had never been to Shayla. Um, yeah, so that's where we derived the name was first the four letter word with the X we were in love with. But second of all, just growing up hearing Shayla, let's go to Shayla or uh, you know, us as little kids, where are we going, Shayla? And you know, they just didn't, they're just, you know, making a joke or whatever, but uh, it's a really a beautiful city when you get down to it. And you know, we love representing our, our Guatemalan culture. And we do eventually want to have a direct relationship set up with a coffee producer in Shayla to have our yeah. own Shayla coffee. Uh, that's it's definitely in our plans, but it's very difficult and takes a lot of time and capital to achieve something like that. So while we work up to that, we're gonna just keep plugging at the you know the the amazing relationships we have now. But definitely look for that in the future, us having an actual Shayla coffee. One of the things I really like about uh, what Benji and Katie are doing. With Chella is that they're really looking to connect uh, everything from the the farmer, the roaster, the barista, uh, to the consumer. Um, I feel like when he talks about lifestyles, that's really truly something he believes in, in the sense that um, you know they took a big risk at uh, leaving their jobs, um, you know, and taking you know this leap of faith uh, that they speak of. So now, for those of you that enjoy um, or want to know what's on the label, um, he gets a little bit more into um, he gets into the single origin versus blends, um, as well as uh, decaf. Decaf, I just put a little bit on there because it, it does get a little bit uh, geeky, but at least um, something that whenever you go and uh, look at the labels on the store shelves. Um, or even at a coffee shop that has their specialty uh, coffee, then you, you're able to know a bit more about what's in the bag. We see that in everywhere we go is, um, you know, people do want to pay for that experience. So if you can elevate that experience, they're going to be so much more happy walking back out the door because they, they felt like they got what they paid for. And, and to be honest, I do that as well. When I go to an establishment, I really you know, value how hard it is to make that money that I, I hold places up to a certain standard. And sometimes Absolutely. that's a fault, but that's how it is. That's really where it comes down to the company's choices and how they want to present themselves. For example, we do mostly single origin. We have one blend and then a, one cold brew blend. So we have two that we use for very specific purposes. The rest of our coffees are single origin. Even our decaf is single origin. Um, but beyond that, we have direct trade single origins from single farm, from one producer, right? So that's breaking it down all the way. But we also have had single origins that are a blend of 13 producers from one area, and that's a micro-region single origin. But it can get complicated, but none of it's official. Um, this is single origin as far as it breaks down. 
in the official terms. And then after that, it's really dependent on how transparent you want to be on where your coffee came from. So, yeah, this is also another thing that's really mysterious in specialty coffee. Uh, if you were to you know, get into commercial coffee, it's very black and white. There's blends created for a specific purpose and there's single origins for a specific customer. Um, so w with specialty coffee, what we're trying to do is create blends for a specific purpose. What we've seen is blends made for either uh, trash coffees or coffees that you can no longer use or you had too long, so you blend them, right? And that way you can sell it at a lower price and you can also have um, somewhere to put that coffee. But what we're trying to do is actually buy specific coffees and blend them at certain percentages to create a balanced flavor. So our 713 espresso is always going to have the same profile, but as the seasons change, the components, the coffees are going to change. And so a blend, what we're trying to do is achieve the ultimate balance, right? So if you look at it as a spider graph, um, you're trying to achieve sweetness, acidity, uh, body, uh, aftertaste, uh, all these different things we're trying to make a complete circle. Single origins sometimes go off in one area, very sharp or very dull or something, you know, to where it's not complete balance. Right, so you either like, you like it for exactly right, reasons. Right, yeah. exactly. Um, just to give an example right now, our 713 Espresso is a Colombia Guatemala blend, um, and it's 75%, 25%. And we do that through uh, lots of testing, taste testing, uh, what's called cupping. Uh, we set up the coffees by themselves, um, quote unquote, single origin. And then we set up the different percentages to find out which one brings the most balance and the least offensive flavor. So single origin, on the other hand, is um, coming from one specific country. And this is definitely a debated uh, thing, uh, single origin, what's really considered single origin. Um, but to make it broad enough for the consumer, it's a coffee coming from one specific country. Um, so what that also could mean is in the specialty world, people break single origin down to being single farm. But that's, that's a no whole nother level. Uh, single origin to me means one origin, right? So origin is what we in the coffee, in the at least the broad commercial coffee, call a country origin. We don't call them countries; we call them origins. And so there's a, a area of the world right around the equator that grows coffee. Um, it's kind of like the coffee belt. Um, so you have that going throughout the whole globe, and that is what you know we can we break down into the origins uh, for example uh, here on on this in this continent we have from mexico all the way down to peru argentina all of that that's you know south america but it doesn't grow below that and it doesn't grow above that because of the extreme temperatures and the 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 soil and all of that um, so single origin really to break it down in broad terms is coffee coming from one country for the consumer, basically anything on the grocery shelves, unless it specifies that it was a certain type of decaf, it's going to be methyl chloride decaf. 
So anything on the re retail shelves, unless it specifically says Swiss water or natural processed water or something like that, it's going to be methyl chloride. So decaf is still a very scary thing, even for specialty coffee companies. Uh, you're seeing a lot of mystery around decaf and, and a lot of questions of how it's made, where does it come from. Decaf is basically regular coffee processed through water with an addition of either chemicals or carbon or heat. Um, so what happens is uh, the coffees that are decaffeinated all depends on what you're trying to buy. For commercial coffees, they use the lowest grade commercial regular coffee and then process it with chemicals to extract the caffeine and from there then it's roasted. Um, so with specialty coffee, it's very, very tricky to find the right coffee. A lot of times some of these processes will actually almost pre-brew the coffee because it's so hot. Um, by the time you're roasting it, it's going to have a very empty flavor. It's going to be lacking in sweetness and the, the boldness of a regular cup of coffee. So really what you're looking for in decaf is the processing and the original coffee. Right now we have a coffee from Vera, Veracruz, Mexico. It's a naturally processed coffee. All that that means is there was no chemicals involved and there was uh, a, it, the coffee that it started with was a, called high-grown coffee. So in, in Mexico and actually in all the different coffee growing countries, you have different grades for coffee. So decaf is usually right on the border of specialty coffee and commercial coffee. In Mexico, just as an example, um, high grown is just barely making specialty. So when people use high grown, they're looking for balance in flavor. They're not looking for unique aspects or subtle tones that you can draw out of it. They're looking for consistency overall. Um, so what happens then is they get a coffee that um, is very uh, solid, very uh, mild, and they process it. This process is a natural process, which takes water from spring, spring water, um, and then it's washed, uh, the coffee is washed in that water for a certain period of time, usually about 24 hours. And uh, once that is done, it's actually um, extracted through pressure, and that's what brings out that caffeine. So uh, what's, what's happening is a lot of these coffees that are being processed for decaf are soaked in something. It's either soaked or pressurized water through the coffee, and that's how you get decaf. So that's why there's still a lot of mystery around decaf, because to really get what's happening, you have to look at the specific process. Uh, for example, there's methyl chloride, which is the main commercial type of decaf, and that uses that specific chemical, methyl chloride, um, in, in a soaking manner, and that's what extracts the caffeine. The one I was talking about is a natural pressurized spring water. Uh, there's another one called Swiss water process, super popular in Europe. Um, it's also very expensive and can sometimes uh, have a very flat flavor because 
<coughs> of the CO2, it actually is too harsh on the coffee. Um, so yeah, there's a, a lot of different types of decaf. It's all water-based, um, but then you, you know you have the different kinds that go into the chemical, no chemical, uh, CO2, no CO2. Really, one of our end goals is to connect fully from consumer to producer by opening a coffee shop with the roastery in it. Yeah, um, and thing. we've actually helped some local people start up something very similar. Uh, Lucia Avenue is on Richmond Avenue. Uh, she is from uh, Korea, and she started Lucia Avenue here as, as the second uh, location. The other one's in Seoul. Um, so we helped oh, wow. her. Yeah, mm -hmm. we helped Very her cool. by picking which U.S. roasting manufacturer to pick, um, like what type of beans for the blend and all of that. So, yeah, we're all about it. You know, yeah. we're all about the new culture, the the transparency and the the connection between the consumer and what they're drinking. Yeah. All right. So that's the uh, show for this week. Um, I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that you learned something. Um, there are uh, plenty of baristas that are, have been moving into bartending. Um, they can make good bartenders. There's no guarantees, just like with anybody else. But the thing is, is uh, I would like to see more bartenders get into the barista world. In other words, really, truly learning uh, not just about coffee and its production, but also the making of, um, of the drinks, texturing, um, balancing uh, those flavors, and uh, if you really want a minutia type of skill set uh, or skill is uh, try dialing in uh, your uh, espresso. And uh, <laughs> that'll teach you something. Anyways, uh, remember yoga for industry, industry yoga over at Montrose Yoga Co-op, 701 Richmond Avenue, uh, Suite 260. Website is uh, MontroseYogaCoop.com. Um, drop-in classes are 10 bucks take care of yourself take care of your body take care of each other remember keep the conversation going